listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Mending Wall by Robert Frost Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I've come after them and made repair where they've not left one stone on a stone. But they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen to each, and some are loaves, and some so nearly balls we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side, it comes to little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there, bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only in the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. I love that Robert Frost poem. And he has another one that's pretty famous, The Road Less Traveled. A couple about those two poems, The Road Less Traveled and Mending Wall, is I think they're often misunderstood like I hear the road less travel quoted as though, it, as though it means that the choice that I made to take the road that was less traveled kind of made all the difference. But I think if you listen closely to that poem, that's not actually what it's saying. He's kind of saying we have these choices kind of all the time, like little things, kind of haphazard things. But in reality, we all, it doesn't really matter. And I think this mending wall is another one that's often misunderstood. Uh, For those of you around last, I guess, September it was, we were celebrating the 20th anniversary of Oasis. And we had a series, it was right in the middle of Irma, so maybe you remember that if you don't remember the series. But we had a series where we preached multiple sermons on John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. We had a little well that was built here. And in one of those sermons, uh, it was talking about, you know, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Phil quoted this poem, The the Mending Wall. And it wasn't the first time he had quoted it. 
It's a great one to kind of represent, I think, who Oasis is, and it's a great one to represent who Jesus is. The misunderstanding, I think, about the mending wall is that we tend to always favor the neighbor, right? The neighbor's father said, good fences make good neighbors. The neighbor is repeating the wisdom of his father, and we just kind of carry that along as a mantra. Good fences make good neighbors, that the fence... The wall is what's always appropriate. Except the poem says there's something that doesn't like a wall. Now, if you did a little bit of research, most people are going to say that which doesn't like a wall is nature. That nature kind of naturally moves and grows and kind of tears down walls. So if you can travel, you'll find uh, walls that have existed in the past that nature eventually tore down like nature kind of reclaiming its space, the greening of the, of the urban uh, or suburban sprawl, right? It's why um, you can't seem to get grass to grow in your yard where you want to, but in your driveway and your sidewalk, there's always something growing, right? It's, it's the power of the natural. It's the power of nature. But I'm going to say there's something else that doesn't love a wall. And it's the love of God. That the love of God is often tearing down the walls that we set up between each other. There's a classic wall that existed in the temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. And there were signs on it. There were three entranceways and there was a sign on each. And it said, Gentiles beware. Because if you cross this line of segregation... You do it at risk of your own life. We've actually found one of those signs. It's kind of etched in stone. Part of it's broken off, but we can still see. We know from literature there's reference to those signs, and we've actually found one of those signs. And then Paul, when he's writing, he's in prison. Interestingly enough, he's in prison because the last time he was at the temple, they said he took Trophimus the Ephesian into the court of the Gentiles. Which, interestingly enough, he hadn't done, but he probably would have, right? So he's sitting in a prison in Rome, and he's writing a letter to the church of Ephesus, and he says, Christ has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Now, we could take that to mean kind of metaphorically that which divides Jew and Gentile, except that Paul's actually sitting in prison because of a wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. So in a very realistic, very practical way, Paul, I think, is referring to the tearing down of this wall that separated these two groups. And this poem by Frost, it's like, look, we put this wall back up, and, you know, sometimes it might be useful like if you have cows and you don't want your cows to get away, or maybe I don't want your cows over in my pasture. But eventually the wall gets to other sections, like where I have an uh, apple orchard and you have pine trees. What do you think? you think my apple trees are going to come and steal your pine cones? I mean, that's a little jab, right? He says it's spring and maybe it's mischief, but I'm going to say it's spring and maybe it's the spirit. Maybe it's the spirit that's motivating this narrator to say there's something that doesn't love a wall. And even though there's something very practical and even there, there's, you know, this kind of handed on wisdom that good fences make good neighbors, there's another narrative that's driving that. 
that says it's not what separates us that's as important as what can bring us together. Which brings us to our good news story today out of Mark chapter 9. And we're going to open with this question, who is the greatest? I mean, who is the real VIP in the room? Um, who is the one who should have the best seat, who, ha who should have the, the most access? I mean, who is the one who hangs out in the green room before the service and then gets to come out and talk to the rest of the people that happen to show up? Who are the important people in our community, in our neighborhood, at our workplace, in our families, in our nation, at our jobs? Who, who is the greatest? So just before this passage that we're getting ready to look at, which is Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, it says Jesus, they're, they're on the road, they're, they're moving from one place to another, and, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, and this is the, it's the second time, I believe, or the, yeah, it's the second time that he says, now the Son of Man must die and then be resurrected. And they're like, well, we don't really understand what he's talking about when he says resurrection. But it says that they all were afraid and decided not to ask him any questions. So I'll just, we'll just kind of keep this to ourselves. There's a misunderstanding of who Jesus is that I think leads into this passage, which is a misunderstanding of the disciples of who they themselves are. Let's read it. Mark 9, 33 through 37. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, who was the greatest? He sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever becomes one such child in the name, in my name, welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. There's a lot going on here. It says, When they came to Capernaum, right? So this is their hometown. So they had been out. They'd been out kind of on the move, on, on a ministry tour. They'd gone to the Mount of Transfiguration. They'd kind of come down the mountain. There was this kind of exorcism that the disciples had failed at, but then Jesus kind of did it, and he said, next time, guys, pray, you know, pray about it. It's a real weird statement. And then they're on their way, and he asks them the question, or he tells them that the Son of Man must suffer and die and be resurrected. And they're like, hmm, I wonder what that means. And it says, now they get to Capernaum. He says he was in the house that could just as easily be translated, and he was home. Jesus got home, and he said, what were you guys talking about? And they didn't say anything again. They didn't ask any question when they didn't understand, and they didn't answer Jesus when he said what you're talking about, because what they were talking about was which one of them was the greatest. Look, Misunderstandings about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing inevitably leads to misunderstandings about us, about who we are and about what we're supposed to be doing. Because when you don't understand Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, when you don't understand Jesus as the one who is for the marginalized, who is for the one who's been abused, who is for the poor, 
who is for the disadvantaged. If you don't understand Jesus, then you're not going to understand yourself because they thought Jesus was the Messiah who's getting ready to take over and become king. And if he's going to become king, then who gets to be the greatest, right? Like if Jesus is going to become president, then who gets to be vice president? Who gets to be chief of staff? Like, that's the questions that we ask. Like, if, if God's in control and God's going to take care of everything, then what am I going to get out of it? And it's a misunderstanding of Jesus inevitably leads to a misunderstanding of us, of, of disciples. So, he says, look, because he knows what they're talking about. He goes, look, if you want to be uh, first, you have to be last. Like he sits down, and that's, that's another kind of coded language that rabbis sat to teach. He didn't sit down because things were done. He was sitting down because things were, were beginning, right? When he takes his seat, they all start to listen. And, and he says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and a servant of all. You see, we think of success as greatness, or greatness as success, right? So to be great is to have power, to have strength, to have money, to have fame, to have influence, to be able to wield our resources to acquire what we desire. I didn't mean to rhyme there, I apologize. <laughs> right? To get what we want. To, to bend the will of others and our circumstances. And we see people who can get those type of things done and we say they're great. So we think that greatness equals success. But Jesus says success equals service. If you want to be first, you must be last and servant of all. And then he takes a child... And he says, he took a little child and put it among them and taking it in his arms. That's a lot of uh, a third person, singular, impersonal pronouns there, right? This child is an it. <laughs> he took it, he showed it, he placed it, he held it. So when we think of child, I think we often think of something lovable, something innocent, something desirable. And later in Mark's gospel, Jesus will talk about being kind of being like a child, being childlike, but that's not what's going on here. When he takes the child, he's taking the most vulnerable part of their culture. The, 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 the triple intersectional, uh, voiceless, powerless uh, object, practically. Children existed for the purpose of their parents, particularly the purpose of their fathers. Uh, it was nothing to let a female ch uh, baby just out in the um, elements to die. Nothing, nothing would be thought less of you if you did that. Well, you know, you can't feed everybody, and after all, it is a girl. Even, even in the Christian circles... Uh, children got treated as though they were just the incarnation of depravity. Augustine speaks of the child. He says one child will be full, yet still see another child drinking milk and will cry thinking I should get that. Just full of greed. The Aramaic word, which most likely Jesus was speaking Aramaic, 
The, the Aramaic word for child is the same word as servant or slave. So when Jesus had just said, you must be a servant of all, he takes a servant, like the servant of servants, the child, and says, look, when you welcome a child, you welcome me. And when you welcome me, you welcome the Father. Greatness is about service, not about power or being first or being in charge. When you welcome the child, you welcome Jesus. When we welcome Jesus, we welcome God. So this moves us from this question of who is the greatest to this next statement about um, whoever is not against us is for us. Because what happens immediately in the gospel, uh, John said to Jesus, John said to him, teacher, this is uh, Mark 9, 38 through 41. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will, will be able soon afterward speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Isn't it interesting that the disciples said, hey Jesus, we saw this guy casting out a demon in your name, but he wasn't following us. Hmm. He wasn't following whom? Right? They didn't say, we saw someone casting out a demon in your name, but we stopped him because he wasn't following you, Jesus. He said, we saw someone casting out a demon in your name, and we stopped him because he wasn't following us. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. People do things in the name of Jesus all the time, but we're not quite so sure that they're just right. You know? Because does their theology match ours? And does their politics match ours? And does their ethnicity match ours? And does their socioeconomic status match ours? Their nationality match ours? Do they fit close enough to who we are for us to say, yeah, that's right? Because just because they're feeding the sick, feeding the sick, just because they're feeding the hungry, just because they're healing the sick, just because they're welcoming the stranger, just because they're visiting the prisoner in the name of Jesus, but are they one of us? Jesus, he had to, he's an, he's an amazingly patient teacher, really. I mean, he didn't kill one of them. <laughs> he's like, don't stop them. But unfortunately, exclusivity in the church is, is not as uncommon as we'd like to think. In fact, the church is just as exclusive as any other part of the culture. And this is not a new problem, it's an old problem. At the Council of Carthage, there was a bishop who stood up and he said, look, if you're not Catholic, you're not Christian. I'm paraphrasing. And Augustine, of all people, who could be a little exclusivist himself, said, now wait a minute. What if they're not part of the church, but they are part of Jesus? Like, what if, 
What if God's moving beyond the bounds of our community? Which is a, a pretty remarkable, pretty remarkable statement. You see, one of the virtues of our culture is tolerance. But tolerance is an impossible position to hold. I want to talk just for a minute about the impossibility of intolerance. Of, excuse me, the impossibility of tolerance. Because we want to be tolerant, but in our desire to be tolerant, we become intolerant of the intolerant. Right? We have a hard time tolerating those who won't tolerate something. And so we have this, this high value, as we see it, that we're going to tolerate the other. But then we can't really tolerate the intolerant so that we become intolerant in our tolerance. Yeah? Uh, I, don't, I don't see him here today, but, so I won't quote him. But I have a good friend who attends our church. And he would often say that he believes in moderation in all things, and that includes moderation. Right? Because if you're, if you're moderate in all things, you're not being moderate in your moderation. You're being extreme in your moderation. Just follow me on that? I'm going to say it again, because I actually really want you to catch it. If you're moderate in all things... When it comes to being moderate, you're not moderate. You're being an extreme moderate. So he says, I'm moderate in all things, and that includes moderation, meaning it's okay to be extreme in some things. I am extremely faithful to my wife. I am extremely committed to care for my children. There's no moderation when it comes to those things. But for most things in my life, Moderation, or the more ancient Christian virtue of temperance, uh, does play a role. I have room for the other. If they need to build a fence, I'm like, okay. Good fences make good neighbors. I know your dad said that to me all the time. <laughs> but, but what if, what if, what if we found another way to live? What if we found a way to be together that didn't prioritize the things the world prioritizes? What if we found a way to be together where servant and service was considered greater than power and money and fame and fortune? I mean, how do we relate to the people in our lives, especially when new people come into our lives? What do you do? I'm a doctor. Oh, well. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What do you do? I'm an attorney. Oh, really? Just a joke. Right? Where do you live? I live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. What do you drive? I drive this car or that car. Right? And we start to relate to one another as though, right, that matters. As though... How, who I think I am relates to who I think you are. Well, where do you like to eat? I like to eat at Applebee's. Well, would you mind going, picking up my car and giving it a wash and bringing it back to me? <laughs> that was supposed to be funnier than that. <laughs> we judge people all the time. We're building these walls. We're constant wall builders. And we think that somehow that, that makes us safer, that makes us better, But that exclusivity will wear at us. 
Those, whoever is not against us, Jesus says, is for us. Which is not the same thing as saying, if you're not for us, you're against us. In fact, it's significantly different than that. To say whoever is not against us is for us is to say that God is at work in all different ways, in all different places, through all different sorts of people. This particular passage in the lectionary gets uh, paired with Numbers 11, which is a real popular passage in the Pentecostal circles that I grew up in because it's a story of the Spirit coming down, not just on Moses, but on the elders, and they're all prophesying. But in that story, they've all met at the tent of meeting, and the Spirit's come down, and they've all prophesied. But there's these two other fellows, Eldad and Medad, I think are their names, and they're prophesying, but they're not at the tent So Joshua is like, Moses, should I make them stop prophesying? I mean, he's he's just like the disciples. And Moses said, no, I would that all my sons and daughters would prophesy. Which is what I think Jesus is saying here. Should we stop that guy from casting out a demon? Look, Jesus said, this is a big paraphrase, three passages earlier in the Gospel of Mark, just kidding. He didn't actually say that because the Gospel of Mark hadn't been written yet. But three, passage, or three passages earlier in the Gospel of Mark, they tried to cast out a demon and couldn't. And now somebody else is casting out a demon and they're saying, well, we stopped him. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad we're in charge here. Look. Our world seems to be pulling apart. I, 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 don't, I don't know where the middle is anymore. People are just mean. And they, they identify with all sorts of things that I don't think are vital. But Jesus says, if you welcome the most vulnerable, You welcome me. And if you welcome me, you welcome the Father. So if you welcome a woman who's been sexually abused, you welcome Jesus. If you welcome someone who's poor, you welcome Jesus. If you welcome someone from a minority who's been marginalized, you welcome Jesus. If you welcome someone from a different nationality, you welcome Jesus. If you welcome someone from a different political party, you welcome Jesus. If you welcome somebody from a different religion, you welcome Jesus. You welcome Jesus when you welcome those who our culture marginalizes. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.